Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Rules. I'm always your host, Stephen Batista, and back with me is Curtis Dugar. How are you doing, Curtis? I'm good, man. Oh, and this week, we have a special guest who is going to come in and share his expertise, much like Curtis. Also working at our Diamond Nation brother, Mr. Gary Peckman. How are you doing, Gary? Doing great today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. That's awesome. So, as with every guest, uh, just how'd you get into umpiring, your, your sporting background, what, what made you do this? And do you do other sports? I just do baseball and I do softball. When, when I was in the seventh grade, the gym teacher there had this thing called the officials club. And after school, we would meet and we'd discuss the rules of the sports that were going on and we'd get to officiate uh, all the intramural games in the school. So it was pretty cool. So I did that in seventh and eighth grade. And that's how I kind of got to become a rules guy. You know, I was always, you know, excited to to know what the the rules were and everything else like that so wow where was this this was back in clark new jersey at charles brewer school shout out to a school that's not there anymore shout out to uh clark new jersey i don't know where that is i'm from north new jersey so yeah but um that's awesome but yeah what a cool program for a school to have was this like yeah it was was just something that he did his name was jim powers and i haven't talked to him since then I, i don't know his his story but he was great to listen to. He was always involved with that stuff. You know, he spent you know, a long time talking about, you know, the infield fly rule. And it was something that, you know, kind of made us memorize, you know, he tests us on it all the time. So he always had this uh, thing called the, the question of the day. And you'd have to, you know, even in gym class, he would ask questions about rules and players and different things like that. So it was, so really, it, it was uh, part of gym class. It was, um, it was an extra, you know, thing instead of playing on a, on a team or doing something like that. We did this officials club. So it was just a after school thing. So. Wow. That's, that's crazy. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll bookend it later about my ideas about training officials later, but that's sort of, you know, uh, I always consider myself a professional watcher, if you will, because, you know, I, I love the game, but beyond rec ball, I was not going to really enjoy it as much from just being more on the analytics side and why Curtis is somebody I look up to. Cause I remember the first time I saw him work, so similar to you, the first time I saw you guys work, and I've been at Diamond Nation for eight years now, if you can believe it, it was, uh, I've always had a, a keen eye to know who to learn from. And that's cool that you from seventh grade have been about the rules and and developed into a, into what you are now. So when did you like really start like becoming a professional umpire, like or making money and doing like levels, yeah, that, levels two, of consequence? 2013, I took um, a cadet class for to become a certified high school official in New Jersey. And uh, that was a funny story too. It was 2012 in the fall. And I was just driving around town and um, I saw a baseball game happening. And so I decided to go and watch the game because it looked like it was organized and everything else like that. And it was, um, it was an offsite field from Diamond Nation. And I was watching the game and it was an 18U tournament. And I was watching the umpire then in between innings, I went over to the umpire and I'm like, how do you do this? And he said, you got to talk to this guy right over there. And I turned around and I met Marty Clark for the first time. Wow. Did you know the story, Curtis? I did not. Know. No, this is so this is back in 2012 in the fall and Marty's working offsite fields, if you could imagine that. That's, uh, a, sight to, that's a sight to behold. And. Marty got me in touch with another person that was teaching the, the cadet class in my area and took the class and I really enjoyed it. Then I went to, there was, there was two choices to become a varsity official. You could either go to a New Jersey umpires association 
kind of training course that was like a two day thing um, that Marty ran with another guy. Um, but I couldn't make it because of a personal thing. I couldn't make it that day. And I really wanted to do varsity. So um, somebody suggested that, that I go to the Southern umpires camp in Georgia for a two man clinic. And I spent four days down at the Southern umpires camp and boy, you know, not umpiring my head spun for the first four days and when I came back home, I was like, what is that? What did I just do? And when they're fresh, like, yeah, like no experience, no experience. I hadn't worked uh, a game really since high school. And, you know, they taught me a lot and it kind of stuck, you know, and when I got on the field and I first started working, all of a sudden it kind of made sense of what they were saying to me. But when it's your first, you know, four days of being an umpire, you know, I remember going out on a ball from the A position and just going out and these kids were playing at like, you know, half speed, just had, they had kids running around the field and hitting, you know, shagging flies and stuff like that. I went out on a ball and I slipped in the mud and, you know, here I am that, you know, guy with mud all his uniform and everything else like that. It's a chicken, you know, without its head, but, uh, went back out the next day, but it's, it's, it's a continually, you know, learning your craft and, and getting on it. But it's, uh, it's been a great, great experience for me. When were you hooked, Gary? Like when, when you were like, yeah, this is, this is where I need to be. At the camp, I really enjoyed, you yeah. know, just being around guys. Um, yeah. There were some really, um, Ted Barrett was there. Um, yeah. uh, Marv Hudson was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul Nybert was there. Trip Gibson was um, really kind of the, the main guy, the main instructor there. Mm-hmm. And these guys are all on the field being professional umpires. And I was like, wow that's amazing that they're spending so much time with somebody like me. I was hooked. I I loved it right away. Mm -hmm. And then I started working at diamond nation when they had the dome. So I was working February. I was, I was in a dome that 2013, I was in the dome working Mm -hmm. and uh, it was great. And then people were paying me to do it. Yeah. That's, we all have the hook. Um, I started wrestling first and Carlos was the one who introduced me to, to baseball. Uh, my hook was, it was one of the first things besides jujitsu where I wanted to be better at it. And I was like, oh, I, I really want to learn this skill, not just look at it as uh, something that I could get paid to do. Because upon entry of certain things, the, the mindset shouldn't be monetary gain. That should just be something that comes with it. And and I was just, I was so interested in learning baseball in a way that, goes beyond watching on TV, which I feel I have learned. Like just even like picking up how to read signs or formation. It's helping me be a better coach than my daughter too in softball. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who are your mentors that came from that? Obviously Marty Clark. Marty is number one, I think, um, you know, just um with the you know, correcting a lot of uh, attitude things and his um his view on the game is is great. But there was guys like Mike Beal, who I still call Chief. I mean and just watching other guys do it at Diamond Nation, I really give them a lot of credit for helping me become who I was and who I am as an umpire. I definitely wouldn't have tried out to do college if I, I wasn't there. But, you know, somebody told me that I was a year in and I wanted to try out. And somebody said, no, you can't do it. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, you need 10 years of experience. And here I am, an older rookie. You know? <laughs> and I said, in 10 years... You're going to tell me I'm too old. And so, listen, just look at me. And if I'm not good, then just tell me I'm not good and how I can get better. Because that's all I wanted to do is get better. 
that person probably did nothing. I, I didn't like getting yelled at, you know, when you first start out and, you know, people are yelling at you about different things or you're making calls too quickly or you're not making calls quickly enough or you're not decisive enough. And I think I lacked a lot of confidence in the beginning, but. Um, How did you react to those, that criticism? Like that, oh, that's something that I think young umpires, yeah, you got to manage in a way that's, that's new. You really got to. Yeah. Talking to, talking to guys that had been in it and, you know, going after the game, talking about just a conversation of what happened and how you could have done something differently to diffuse a situation or not get into it at all. And then, you know, who to listen to. And a lot of it was me hearing stuff from the dugout or from the stands and then reacting to it. And I think that's a thing that once a coach knows he has your ear, he's going to wear you out. But if you don't react to a lot of coaches, if he, you know, says something and it's not, you know, directed at you or, you know, some, a lot of people say, you know, that's horrible or, you know, that's awful. And that's fine. I, you know, I tend to agree sometimes that sometimes things happen that are awful and yeah, but I don't think it's me controlling that, but I would react to that. You know, a coach would come out and argue a call and I'd want to argue just as vehemently about matches something energy. else. And, matches energy. Yeah. And that's not, I don't think that's a, a good strategy. That's definitely not. I have a saying, um, Never let an asshole make you become an asshole because no matter what, you're still an asshole at the end of the day. Yeah, I and mean, I can't change what he's doing. I can only control what I'm doing. But there's a lot of little things that people told me and talking about it after the game and talking about it with other people and just watching other people work and sounds silly, but watching TV and seeing how those guys are doing it because you don't need to shout to get your point across. It sounds like uh, you respect the game too. Enough where you can make the choice to take things personally, or you can make the choice to understand this crap can make you a better man and, and a better person, and how to deal with extenuating uncontrollable circumstances such as the audience or a coach. I had a game today, a softball game, um, and the coach came out, her two uh, lineup cards in her hand, and she had a ball like wedged into her, you know, almost into her armpit. She had a ball there, and she's coming out to the plate meeting. And I was, I was the third base umpire today. And I said, you know, hey, do you want me to grab that ball for you? And she's like, no, that's just something I do. And <laughs> so it was like a funny thing, but, you know, she's being superstitious. And I recognized it right away when she said, no, it's something that I do. I just let it go. And then her dugout was on the third base side. And after the first thing, you know, now her team is um, up at bat and she comes out and she's like, listen, I didn't mean to be rude, but, you know, I was just being superstitious and i said i get it i said it's the playoffs now don't change what you're doing i said yeah. you know i respect the streak just like everybody else you know that's one of the things you have to you know if something if if you think that the keeping a ball in your armpit before the game makes you a better team i respect that you know yeah, I got it. so and she laughed and she said you know she's like i didn't want you to think i'm arrogant but i really am and you know we had a little laugh and it was good, you know. We're ready to go, but you got to respect uh, that. The yeah. point to Curtis uh, to get because Curtis is this guy skipped levels. You know, he's like a, a gifted. He really didn't do varsity. I don't know if you knew that. This guy, the, the most of the a, varsity level age you see is at Diamond Nation, right? When they um, seventeen year olds, eighteen year olds come around. I, I didn't. I didn't skip it. I think um, for me, um, you didn't go through the, uh, at least the the. The measures of like where I'm going through right now, I'm getting my championship games on a varsity level. Oh, and graduating in that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, um, 
so for me, I um I was able to jump into college and then I paused working high school for mm-hmm. a, a, a long time. Um, but but now I help out, you know, when I can. Like this year, I had a handful of um Philadelphia Catholic League varsity games, but but yeah, primarily a, a collegiate schedule. Yeah. So we're all in playoffs and Curtis just finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, but where, uh, you do, you're still in, you do softball playoffs and, um, boys, uh, high school, baseball. Yeah. Playoffs? I'm certified for both high school softball varsity and, and baseball varsity. And, uh, so it's, it's, a fun and it's New Jersey, place. right? Yeah. Just in New Jersey. Is it the same governing body or is it USA softball for? No, uh, it's the same NJSIAA. No, oh, so it's not USA softball at all either. No, but I do. I'm certified in US USA softball as well. Yeah, yeah. in New York, the, my first year into so because I, I only do varsity softball every other day and whenever they come around for domination. And uh, at first, it was a uh, like a regional the, the, in New York City, worked by Borough. Yeah, but then USA softball came in and they became one governing body, which is the opposite of how it is for. Uh, the boys it's it's basically uh local assigners one bronx guy one brooklyn guy and, and so much so gary that when we go to championship games we all have different uniforms yeah mm. it, it's a mess uh i hate it i hate it i'll say it one more time to my i hate it and i want to <laughs> i i want to change it so much because i'm leaving the psl after next year i get the triple a championship game next year at the plate and we usually have championship games at yankee stadium I have the double A game this year, I believe, at first base. So once that's done, I want to I want to really try to like revamp the whole system over there because it's it's one of those things. It's like everybody's running unopposed constantly, and there's no challenges to their regime, and they're running out of umpires. To when I go to Dime Nation, one thing about like maybe for you when you go to Dime Nation, it, it humbled me in a way because I went to Dime Nation my third year of umpiring. It was one of those things. Oh, you think you know, but you have no idea, and it taught me in a way that there are other ways to be about umpiring that instead that are just beyond the rules and ways to be and how to present yourself and how to be a partner that I didn't, I never learned anywhere else. And I took that back with me to where I first started in the Bronx and it's a foreign concept. And I'm like, why, why is this so foreign? This should be something that is a standard and, and people are, they don't know to be taught the way that you are or the way that Curtis were. And maybe situationally we found ourselves in those positions, but there's a lot. And I do, I say that because I do believe there's a lot of people who just, they don't know that they can learn better. They don't know what they don't, they don't know. But I think that, you know, Dimension is such a great vessel for young umpires. And I hope like Curtis and I, eventually we can grow into that in the cadet class form and, and present Dime Nation as more of a place where you can come learn to umpire as well as you can come see if your travel team's good enough to compete. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the amount of reps that you get at Dime Nation alone. I mean, as many as you if want. You just, if you just do a high school schedule or just a college schedule, you know, you're probably doing what, like 40 or 50 games. Yeah. And that's yeah. a that's a full schedule with a full time job on top of that. You know, everybody's, you know, not. Monday to Friday. You know, everybody's. You know, it's not everybody's first job. It's, you know, you know, unless you're retired and then it's something different. But to do 40 or 50 games in a season is a lot. But and if you did, if I just did that, 
I'd only have 250 or so games under my belt, but I have, you know, well over 2,500 games. But who's counting, right? (laughs) Under my belt. And, you know, nothing, you know, not all of it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't count. I'm not one of those guys that has a complete record of every game that I ever did and everything. But I, I have a rough idea. But, I mean, there was times where I was doing 300 games in a season and, you know, you get a lot of reps and, you know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, but you're going to learn twice as much as you make mistakes. So it's, it's, it's good. I mean, it's not, I don't think that when you see guys that are doing higher levels, it's not always that they've been around longer. It's that they've gotten more reps in and it's, it's a matter of, it's a matter of games. It's not a matter of years. Absolutely. That's why I think the essence of beyond the rules is and Curtis is somebody who, if you're still doing, if you're homogenizing yourself to the local varsity or little league, you're never going to meet people like you. And Dimension kind of brings that together where I can meet somebody like Gary, somebody like Curtis, who, how else would I meet you on a regional local level? Because you guys are, you're from where you are. And a lot of these, a lot of these younger, um, uh, or the other leagues are running one umpire crew, you know, and you just, it's one umpire. And I, I can tell you, you'll never get better working by yourself. How could you? Because you can't learn from anybody. And um, once you start working with, you know, two umpire system or three umpire system or four umpire system, um, if you're used to making every single call on the field, um, you're going to get yourself in trouble when you start working with multiple partners. It's, it's, it's a really bad thing. I find that guys that have, you know, five years experience working one man, they're harder to work with because they're used to making every single call and they're not used to working as a team. So to open up to Curtis, uh, what would be your offerings too? I mean, after this long season, I, I don't know how much time you split between varsity and, and, and college, but share with us where, where you, as far as you got with this year, did you accomplish certain goals as far as levels? Yeah. Yeah. You, well, you know, my perspective is always uh, my goal is to, complete assignments that are given to me. I've always talked about having trust in my assigners and 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 really allowing them to really guide my growth. If 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 you're going to be invested in an organization, you want to make sure that the organization is invested in your professional growth, right? And and want to see you be the best at the highest level that you can work, you know. So and that's what I've learned over the years, you know, like I, I moved away from those type of organizations and entities that really weren't trying to do what's best for me um, as an official. So, so yeah, this year was, was, was a quality year, um, worked with great partners, had a solid division one schedule, which was great. Um, but then also my division three schedule was pretty solid as well. And uh, I was able to begin to, you know, really move into a leadership role you know, serving as, you know, a crew chief for, you know, a lot of the division three stuff that I worked and really, you know, groom myself to, you know, work my second regional, which was awesome. So, yeah, so that, that was cool. Where'd you work, Curtis? I was at SUNY Cortland. I was at the Cortland uh, regional. I was able to work with our, our, our buddy Leon as well. So. Uh, uh, shout a, out to Leon Cruset. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a late switch. Um, and uh, our national coordinator called me up and was like, Hey, so, you know, we got a, we got a situation and, need you to, you know, move. I'm like, whatever you need, let me know. And turns out he was moving me to uh, work with, uh, work with Leon. Shout out to Leon. I mean, just one of my favorite people, but then also just 
seeing him grow as a, as an official, uh, but then also getting to know him as a person was just awesome. And I think that's, that's the beauty of, you know, being in a, in a situation where you get a chance to work with good partners who are good people, you know, and just having that time to, to get to know them, but then also go to war with them, you know, for five, six, seven games is just, it's awesome. So, so yeah, so I believe I, I accomplished uh, my goals. Um, I'm excited to over the summer, really think about the next set of goals for, you know, the the upcoming season and again, use diamond nation, you know, for a vessel for, learning and development, working on things, um, and then also working with, you know, you all, you know, our colleagues and peers and and, and hopefully giving back to, you know, our group um, in a way where they can advance and begin to outline what they want to do for next year as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a good year. Gary, how's your, uh, oh, you did mostly. Yeah, uh... My year is going good. I, I, I got selected to do the um, group two um, final on Friday for high school. It's like a, group two north so it's a sectional final so i'm happy with that so far i'm you know the the state's gonna the state of new jersey assigns for the um start assigning for the next rounds of the tournament where all these sectional finals will meet so they'll start doing that shortly i hope to be selected for that i mean i think i'm finally getting recognized as as you know a good umpire and somebody they want on the field um so i'm happy about that i'm working with um two other guys that we worked the group two finals last year together. So we were a three man crew there. So we're working together again and I'm really excited about that. Um, it'd be, we had a good time last year, so we'll have a repeat of it for this year. And um, yeah, so I saw, you guys work with so much more structure than I do. Uh, truth be told, this is a fucking shit show. Uh, like I said, we show up to a finals at, in Yankee stadium with different uniforms. Like, uh, that that just is a, a window into the the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is yeah. doing. With, with these the NJSIA does a really good job about uh, making sure guys have the you know um, like a team. shirts and yeah look like a team. And the guys that I've worked with in the past have been serious about you know doing a good job with it and looking good with it. Yeah, uh, and and the selection process is up to the local assigner. I have no idea. Yeah, New Jersey uh, I, does it in the first two rounds is the, lo the local assigner. And then after that, the state kind of has their own assigning duties that do it. So that's fair. Uh, what, but, what? I, you know, they're doing it by reaching out to coaches, chapter, chapter, you know, um, chapter presidents and administrators. And they're getting names from those guys because I don't think they see as many guys as they they probably should. You're and talking they, about like the way they assess who to go. Correct. Yeah. So that, at least that's something of a, of a meritocracy. Yeah. With, with my local signer, it'd be way is where I got my start and, you know, shout out to Jimmy. It, it is what it is, but he, he kind of just picks and the final is picked by each signer. And I don't know how the other signers do it from Brooklyn or whatever. It is yeah. not, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. It is, and I'm, I'm the only reason I'm getting it is because of time. And I think rotation. It's not because I've earned it skillfully, which I have, and I'm comfortable saying that and doing it. And I want, I, you know, I, I really want to do it. And not, it's in Yankee Stadium, and it's where I got my, I, the only varsity that I do. In a couple of years, I want to do Rockland, which is will open me up to another territory, and I'm going to drop the PSL because I, I also want to go into teaching through that 
And if you've heard other, um, there's other episodes where I explain it, especially in the last episode that I recorded with Curtis, where we went over mid-season stuff. I, I've also in my ceiling growth, uh, hearing Curtis and Leon. I, I spoke to Leon at, at Dimension, and he was talking about where he's gone, and and I, you know, I want that, and I, I want that in a way just because I want to learn more about my craft. I'm okay with doing the games assigned, and of course, the thrill of getting circumstantial games championship or otherwise, fine. But to me, it's more about just learning how to be better an umpire and, and getting more experience that way. And I hit my ceiling on the varsity level, especially in the city. Maybe opening myself up to other territories, but it's cool that you. I don't, what, what what level of college did you get when you were doing college? I was, you know, I started doing a junior college level, and then I got into um, a different group, and they were doing they were assigning D two and D three uh, schools, and had a really good time doing that. All of a sudden, somebody gave me the name of Rich Vetchett, and I sent him an email, and I said, "What's the worst thing that could happen? I could get a D one game." And I signed up for his group, and he accepted me you know, sight unseen. And um, all of a sudden I found myself doing a Seton Hall game. (laughs) Is that the guy you met, Curtis, the first time? No, that's not him, right? That's not the guy who... He was out that. He's in the same vicinity as Curtis was, I think. He's he's in the the Midwest. Uh, He's one of our uh, national um, coordinators for NCAA baseball. Yeah. did you have done camps, Gary? At that point, did you get? Yeah, there? I had done a. I had done several camps at that point. I mean, I did um, with the Chesapeake Basin group. I I did a couple of groups uh, cha- uh, with them, with um, the College Baseball Umpires Association (CBAUU). Um, I did like a four-day camp with them. You know, two man and three man. Awesome. You know, but it was you know I know it was low on the list uh, for people to to do that that one game, but. Um, Hi, my list right now from where I am. But do, doing a D1 uh, schedule, I don't think, I think when I first started doing it, you know, people are like, you know, oh, you're going to be in the major leagues one day. And I'm like, yeah, no, probably not. Because I said, I said, the best I could do is probably be, uh, you know, do a D1 game one day. And I kind of hit that goal, you know, and I put myself in position to, to, to do it. So I'm happy about that. It was, a you know, Nothing happened crazy in that game. There was no nothing, you know, but it was a, a game that was a makeup game and it was a non-conference game. And But I had a really great time and I was a little, you know, nervous at first. And my my crew really kind of, it's funny, you go to somewhere and you don't have to say that you're brand new, but everybody knows that you are, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so they kind of knew that it was my first D1 game and, it was a really cold day and I didn't have the right jacket and I had to borrow a jacket from somebody, but you know, you took the opportunity though. I took the opportunity. I was on third base. I, you know, for a three man crew and I had a really great time and it's something that I'll, I'll never forget. So I'm really happy. about those opportunities. Yeah. And I did a, a couple of years doing uh USA ACBL mm-hmm. Atlantic, you know, college uh, summer league here in New Jersey. And that was really good time for me. You know, you get to deal with um, kids that play at a very high level and it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, Gary, I, um, I, I appreciate this, this, this narrative because, um, you know, what we, we get a chance to talk about is just, you know, how we continue to seek out growth, you know, as we officiate and we, we both utilize domination and in, in, in other areas where we get a chance to work to, 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 to just fine tune pieces of our craft. Right. You know, coming off of this season, like, 
what what are some of the things that you are targeting as opportunities for growth, you know, as you go into your summer season? I always try to just work on my footwork uh, on the bases. I think I've always gotten in more trouble umpiring on the bases than I had did on home plate. Yeah. Um, and especially with two-man crew, there's more opportunities to, to get yourself into into trouble. But cutting in quicker or just reading the batter runner, seeing what he's doing. If he's not running very hard, then I don't need to run very hard. But if he's busting it out of the box, then I have to run harder and do something different. Just trying to be more aware of what's going on. Um, right. And I think everything's done when you're on a baseball field, everything's done on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's little nuances that you just need to pick up, whether you're you're looking at the pitcher's feet, when you're looking at kids warming up. I was at a game, it was a Patriots game here in New Jersey, and I saw the first base umpire just get out and while the the kid while the uh, players were throwing the ball around the you know, the infield, he was just getting himself like locked in on positioning and watching the first baseman how he's setting up to receive throws from his shortstop third baseman and second baseman and then also you know looking at how the catcher releases the ball and how's the you know they're setting up when they're throwing it down take a look at all that stuff because how they practice is how they're going to play yep it's like mental ground rules exactly so just when it's seemingly nothing happening on the field how much can you recognize it's happening Mm -hmm. and right put that in you know so when it happens you know later in the game you're ready for it that's a good point you know, yeah, and we all work lower level games and, you know, you work a 12U or 11U or 10U and some guys feel like they're getting punished somehow. But when I get out there, I'll look at stuff and those kids will do stuff that just doesn't make sense sometimes. But you see more obstruction and interferences and different things like that. And you're seeing it at a slow speed. And so I feel like it gives you a little bit of mental memory that when you see it at a higher speed um, because the game gets a lot faster, you know, it's amazing how exponential, you know, 12 U is a kind of quick game. Then 13 U and 14 U the game becomes very slow. And then when they start turning 16 and 17 and 18, the game starts to, you know, get up to speed. But then when you're doing a college game, it even happens even faster. The kids are stronger, you know, plays that happen. You would think that, the guy's going to be out by a mile, but then it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a very close play. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a lot of things that people don't realize, you know, yeah, anybody could probably go out there and do a varsity game with a few, you know, lessons and stuff like that. But the speed of the game is so much different than, you know, people will start making more mistakes. So I, I just try to work on timing and footwork and paying attention to stuff, even though when nothing's happening, Right. I think that's, the thing I try to work on because then you know I want to practice I I take diamond nation as practice and I yeah. take the preseason for high school as practice and then once we get into the season I I want to get out there and I want to work you know as hard as I can you yep. know at diamond nation we I pace myself I'm working at least two three games in a row and you have to kind of pace yourself you know for that 21 inning marathon that you're going to be doing yeah. and seven hours of baseball in a row yeah. But then when you're doing a high school or a college game, you're just doing really just one game or a double header, but you know, you're going to do one game behind the plate and you're going to be on the bases for the next one, but you can really give out your all out effort. And I feel like the conditioning that I get from working the multiple games helps me with the when I just have to work one mental conditioning too. 
mm-hmm. and mental conditioning. Yes. Cause keeping your focus for eight hours is a lot like work. Yeah. And when people go to Dime Nation, the Disneyland of baseball, it, it, I did 10 U at Dime Nation just this weekend. It was the first time in a long time. And I've been on varsity mindset the whole week. There was a pitch that was a ball in varsity, but it was a 10 U strike all the way and I had to just readjust. And then you deal with the extenuating circumstances of parents that yeah. can exhaust you. Yeah. I, I finally, I really, um, you'll probably have a better time out of it because if they don't think you're listening, they're going to stop. Well, if you don't feed the beast, it's going to go somewhere else. How do you react in the, a beyond the rule situation where like you, I don't know where your threshold is. And one of the things that I would love to, when Curtis Carlson and in you, and I want everybody to be a part of a really like a, a standardized approach to developing young umpires, not talking about camps for NCAA. We have enough of those and they're all good, but there's nothing that's a standardized camp to really like bring people from the ground up and prepare them for the mental acuity that you need to have to deal with everything else that is beyond the rules. And what, what would be some things that you offer for, like, like I said, I don't know your threshold for me. That was one of the easier parts. I have enough friends who will shit on me and know more about me than anybody in the, in the audience that's going to do that for me. And I, I think that just comes with a, a hardened, callous sense that maybe some people don't have. And what could be part of the development process of, a new, of new umpires. But until then, you kind of just have to manage your own expectations of other people and also listen to people like you and Curtis and maybe me and how to mitigate all that that sort of things where you can sort of stop it, where you say you turn around and you let them know that you're listening. I personally try to inform them in between innings, especially at Dimension offerings that I, I don't like when Marty says, don't talk to the parents. To me, I talk to the parents up to a certain respect. And if they disrespect that, then that's it. I don't talk to them anymore. And I go to the coaches. So it's something that like you and then Curtis, you can answer this too, uh, would offer you know, our listeners, and I can say it because we have some, shout out to them. What is something that you can offer that is uh, just a, a, men- a mental way to deal with everything that's beyond the game that you're dealing with? I feel like there's a great sign in one of my favorite officiating stores. And it, when you walk out the door, I have a big sign on the sun that says, remember, they're not your friends. And it was something that I saw right away when I started doing this. And it, it just makes a lot of sense. If you want to have friends, don't be an umpire. Unless you're, you know, you're only going to be friends with other umpires. You can't be anybody's friend. I think you can be friendly to people, but you can't be, they're not going to be your friends. Um, and you shouldn't expect them to like you. It's just a nature of, of being, you know, an arbiter or an officiant of a, something. You know, somebody's not going to like what you have to say. And somebody's going to disagree with your judgment. But what you do is out there is what it is. Be in the best position that you can be when you make your call. And, you know, judge it the way you're supposed to. I don't believe in makeup calls. You know, people are, you know. Makeup calls are bullshit. You know, because then, you know, two sets of people are mad at you instead of just one set of people. Mm -hmm. You know, if it gets really out of hand, I mean, at Diamond Nation, there's there's a relief for that. You can call one of the administrators there and they can come and handle that situation for you. But when you're on the field with other things, you're going to have to go to the head team, the the head coach of the team that you're having a problem with and tell him, Hey, you're going to have to clean that up because I don't, I can't, I don't deserve to hear what I'm hearing right now. And he's going to say, what did they say? 
And then you just tell him what he said. And he said, if you can't clean it up, then I'm going to penalize you. Yep. It's good that you say that. Cause um... right? I'm going to, I'm going to restrict you to the bench. And when that happens, you just, you restrict them to the bench because coaches don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to be restricted in any way. They're all type. They want to be in charge just like everybody, every other coach. So when you punish a coach because of something that somebody else is doing, I had an assistant coach yelling at my partner, who's a younger guy. And I said, you can't talk to him that way. And I told the coach, I, the head coach is sitting right next to me. I said, you know, once I throw him out of the game, I'm going to restrict you to the bench. And he's like, but I didn't do anything. And I said, by rule, if I eject the assistant coach, the head coach is restricted to the bench. Right. And I said, so go into your dugout and clean that shit up because right. I don't want to hear it. Right. Yeah. You know, so going to the head coach is the best way to handle things. They can talk to their own people. I think talking to players is a mistake. And unless you're directing a coach to do something, there's no reason to talk to the coaches in between innings either. If he wants to come and talk to me, I make him walk the entire length of the field to reach me. I don't meet him halfway anymore. <laughs> make I him earn to, it. Yeah, I figure by the time he gets out there, he might forget what he wanted to talk to me about. Before I kick but, it to you, Curtis, one thing I've been doing at Diamond Nation, I just tried this year. If I recognize that a coach is a parent, and they, they start acting like a parent, I no longer call them coach. I'll call them a parent. Come here. And uh, Marty, Marty kind of likes that. So, Curtis, what, what are things that you use to mitigate um, the sort of stress, especially in Diamond It's one place that, like, like I said, it's the Disneyland of baseball, especially 10U, 11U, 12U. Parents aren't hardened to the experience. They're still there for their kids. They still think they're, of their kids as really like having a, a future in the sport of baseball in a certain way especially when you're on elite travel teams, you know? So how do you, how do you deal with that? So my approach is a little different than Gary's and, and that's what respects. I, I think what Gary shared is, um is, is on point, you know, like, I think, you know, we, we definitely need to listen and, and, and know when to engage, but then I do align with Gary when it comes to giving the responsibility, well, not necessarily giving the responsibility, reminding the, re- reminding coaches of the to manage situations before we have to manage those situations. So that I agree. I think for me, um, for us as officials, when we think about training and development of younger officials, I think there's an opportunity for us to really groom talent to embrace being the umpire in charge, you know, like being, you know, being the number one, right? Like that's your field. That's your diamond. Um, you, you, Yes, you have a partner. You all are a team. You all are going to support each other. But you're the UIC. So when you get to that field, how you come on that field, how you, you know, greet and, and, and you know, manage the, the ground rules and, and all those type of things and dictate the tone of that game says a lot about how you're going to manage the entirety of the game, you know, and what tone you're setting for those teams when it comes to their behavior, their approach, the integrity that they're, you know, demonstrating and then also for the patrons as well, what will and will what won't be tolerated, but you know how you set the tone with the with the with the with the teams and the and the coaches should translate over to the parents, and by empowering those coaches to address things, we shouldn't have to address many issues because we can just say to the coach, hey, some comments are being made towards said player or whatever it is. Can you take it? Can, can you take responsibility for addressing that? before I have to do it or or Diamond Nation staff need to address it. 
you know, and yeah. them take responsibility of it. Um, I believe, you know, we have to, we have to groom our, our folks to be assertive and, 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 and to control the field. You know, we don't have to be overbearing or, you know, be super egotistical with it. We just need to make sure that, Hey, everyone knows that we're paying attention to the little things before they turn into big things. Yeah. Um, and, a consistent communication is important. It doesn't have to always be verbal. It could be nonverbal, just saying, hey, you know, like making sure people are aware that you see things um, that are non-game uh, related pieces that carry over into the game, super important. Because then, because they see you taking care of the little things that are non-game related, when you start getting the little things that are game related, credibility goes straight up. Because they say, oh, no, he's been on it the entire night. Like, you know, like he he's he's made sure we've been in the dugout. We made sure folks, you know, were, you know, taking pitches with helmets, you know, making sure it was four pitches, you know, every inning, like all those little things, um, you know. But then now when that kid breezes through that pitch without stopping, nope, that's about boom time, we're going. You know, like they're on it, no question. Because one, either they know the rules or they're learning the rules. But you're managing the game in a way where the integrity. What's it called? Wait, 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 Curtis. What's it called? Say, say what's the title of the podcast? This is behind the rules. You know? Beyond but, the rules. You know, but 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 you know, um, but 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 with that, you know, going beyond the rules, you know, we're also making sure that that learning curve, that that level of learning for everyone, is at that high level. You know, and and it yeah. begins with the officials being prepared to manage the game. So, yeah, um, I definitely agree. Yeah, prepared and wanting to. Uh, and, and huge, yeah. huge point huge point Steve. Yeah. like huge point you know and i think that's 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 part of it you know is you know making sure that you know when when guys are signing up for these contests you know like they want to manage the game like they want to they want to get the box they want to rotate up to third when we're in you want to make the hard call like, exactly like you're excited for that stuff not being oh well you know i can kind of like no like get in position you know like folks are paying a nice pretty penny for quality officiating and they know when they're not getting the bang for their buck. So, you know, I think those things, those things matter. And um, I and agree. I totally I agree. agree. I talked to an official um, who said one of the more um, disturbing official things, and I don't know how many officials sort of have this in the back of their head, sort of like a makeup call thing where they, 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 they sort of want to massage the game in a way that you can go beyond the rules, but then you could, make up shit and one of the things that this umpire said i'm not gonna say his name he said i don't make calls if nobody knows that 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 was a call to be made <laughs> i i almost have a guess on who it is but i have a few names yes and i was like holy shit that's an admission god damn that person knew me and knew what I do and know what I stand for. And it was like, wow, under these auspices, you're still admitting that. And it came off a play where I had to make a call where nobody saw it. It was, uh, or sorry, it was the opposite of, uh, of, I didn't see it. I could assume that of the play that happened. I was uh, doing 10U and runner first and second, pass ball, both first and second runner steal. When the runner on second goes to third, he slides, but he overslid. The position that I was in, I had to stay behind all the runners, and I was blocked. I could see that he overslid the base, but I couldn't tell when the tag was applied and when he got back. I can't make a call that I see. The third base umpire probably saw that he was out, 
And I explained to him, I was like, listen, I believe you, but you see where I was. If I made that call, I'd be assuming that that happened. That's not mm -hmm. cool. And if you were on the other side of that and you knew exactly what the position I was, you'd be like, "You, how could you see that? And that explanation was good enough for him. He was like, okay, you know, well, I guess he, you know, or was not the, uh, not the third base coach. It was on the, that side of the team that saw the out or the potential. They were in out. a third base dugout. Yes, a third base dugout. And I had to call safe. And now when I, when I don't see calls, I defer to the actual like verbi, the language of the word safe. It's the safest call because I didn't see it. And, uh, and that explanation worked. Uh, and yeah. that when I prompt when I talked to the guy that I was working with, that's when he promised, "Oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't make calls that people." And I, I was like, oh, "You know, to not make calls that people don't understand is, yeah, a detriment to the culture of what you're trying to protect and 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 inform people of. So when you make these decisions, they don't be like, "Well, this last guy said he didn't make that decision." It's like that's the fucking worst thing you ever want to hear as an umpire. Oh, I agree, like, and then, but on the other end of the spectrum is. You know, you shouldn't be going out looking for something either. No fish for you know, and don't you, vampire. Somebody told me once, if you go out looking for something, you're going to find it. That's life. You know, that's you're going to get in trouble that way. But I think one of the most powerful things an umpire can say is, mm -hmm. in my judgment, mm -hmm. once you start saying that, Steve, and you say, mm -hmm. in my judgment, I have them safe. And they're going to ask you why. And, be, well, mm -hmm. that's my judgment, mm -hmm. right? And if you could work harder the next time you saw a play like that and get a little bit deeper into the pocket of, you know, between third base and home, if you could get into that deeper or something like that, maybe you could do that. But Seems in that like instance where you're dealing with what you're sought at from where you're standing in the field. And sometimes it's asses and elbows, you know, but, but you still have to make to a game. judgment. It's fair you still to have game. to make a judgment and you know, you're only as good as the information you have in front of you. So if yep. that's a safe call, it's a safe call. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think it's really important just, you know, when you're talking with see, coaches and stuff like call. that, in my judgment, I had him safe and on the bag, you know, yeah. obviously he had something different or he wouldn't come out there and argue with you, but, you know, and he, and I, I feel like I, in, in domination enough and where you get what you're just seeing a lot, uh, I gave him an explanation and I have the respect in that I gave him an explanation that he, he could disagree. He can have saw something different, but it's about my truth in that moment and the truth of where I was yeah, and absolutely. positioning where I was is like, I can't make that call because I'd be making stuff up regardless of the fact. My truth was this truth and facts are two different things. Uh, you know, my truth is my perspective and my perspective was flawed because of the position that I was in, but it was not flawed in that I was in the wrong position. It was flawed because of the position I was in doesn't allow for all that viewing. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. That's the oh, game. Got it. Yeah. I think it's important, you know, not to, hey, there's only two of us out here and there's four bases. You know, that's never a good stand. But, you know. And I was trying to talk to coaches in a, in a pleading in a pleading way, not like I'm pleading for them, but I, I, I don't tell them what to do. I don't really like, I humanize their situation that they have a myopic, myopic lens of what they look at the game. Even the best of coaches. I mean, you, could, you could get Wadka in, in a position where, he knows the game as well as anybody else, but he still is biased. And you got to sort of position yourself where they could be angry, they could disagree, but they know that you're in your best of ability being fair to the call. And shit happens. Life is not fair, but you, I can offer you that I tried my best to make it that way. You know, and that's it. Sometimes it's 
the positioning that you're in, you, you can't see it. And and I, I try to tell younger officials, both in wrestling and baseball, there is no bad call if you didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. What I would add to that is um, I think this is where the opportunity for us, uh, and again, understanding that we're working three, four, five games, you know, in the summer and we're and, and the fatigue factor does set in. This is where, you know, one of the mindsets that I have is always work to be in the best position to see everything that you can see. And sometimes you can be in the most optimal position and the play just goes left. And now you have to make adjustments and find the best view of of that play. And I think that's where us being confident in our, in our responsibility and utilizing the language that has been given to us to say, Hey, in my judgment on this play that totally blew up, I have this individual out because of this, or this, this, I have the player safe because of this. Well, 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 coach, this isn't a well situation. I'm letting you know what we have period. You know, like there is no conversation. No, I'm not going to go help on things because this is my judgment. This isn't a play where I want to go get help or need to get help on. And keeping all of that language simple so that way we can get back to the game, you know, um, and being yeah. confident in that, in, in, in that, in that situation to move things forward because we worked hard to get in that position. Yeah. There may be a question or, or, or quite, yeah, a question about whether it's an outer safe, but that is it because we worked to get into the best position possible to make the right decision in the moment. And that's, and, and I think that's where we have an opportunity to, to, to be at our best knowing that, you know, it's just two of us. You know, um, it's what we, we can control too. Really, exactly. how much exactly. more can we could do? Exactly. How much more can we do? And if yeah. you put that, if you do all that you can do, if you have ten dollars and you give ten dollars, that's all you can give. You that's know, it. like it, yeah, I, you, that's one you, thing personally. I when people say I give one hundred and ten percent, I always have a problem. You can only yeah. give a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can only give a hundred percent. And you know, and that's just it's like skill level wise too, right? Um, that's one of the things I want to like present to local little leagues is like if you're if you're especially if you're like 10u to 12u and below and you have a, a a new umpire who's being trained in a system that to rewind a bit part of this is giving uh this idea is because i'm on the other side of it now my daughter plays 10u and it's the first time i'm like oh shit i get it i can see where parents come from in a more experiential way than I didn't before because I didn't have that sort of uh, feelings of whoa and you know my daughter's good so I've been more involved and I've been to a parents coaches meeting which is basically a parents parents meeting nobody's getting paid to be a fucking coach here and they talk for us they talk for us they assume that what we do and I was in the position to be like uh no that's not how we think uh they, they, one of the tropes that uh, I keep hearing is if you, if you chirp at an umpire, they'll take it out on you and the team and the, and the girls or the participants, which I'm not here to say that that's not true. There are bad umpires who might do that and might hold a grudge, but they say that in such a matter of fact way where they don't have any representative. They don't have somebody from who's assigning the umpires to be, to send an umpire there and be like, okay. Here's what you expect from your kids. Here's what you expect from the coaches. Now, here's what 
and here's what you expect from umpires. Now, here's what umpires expect of you guys. And I think Divination sort of creates that uh, because it's sort of, uh, it has that feeling of patrol and, or, or at least a barrier to eventually, right? There's a barrier, at, at least in people's eyes, where maybe they're just not sec selecting, you know, warm bodies off the street to become umpires. There's got to be some way to get into Divination. Whether how much it is or not, they don't really know that. But when you're doing local league, it kind of seems like uh, you either a crossing guard or you're a fucking umpire to these people. And they'll still treat you with the expectations of MLB. And I think that part of this podcast and part of things that I want to change and part of things that I hope this opens the doors for people as a learning device for future umpires or current umpires and as a sort of a door opening in how a perspective that you didn't really get to hear from from people like us who yeah. really fucking care about what we're doing and we're not just umpires to dick around as volunteers or like being crossing guards we really care and i think that that's something that i want to present to at least as much as i control on a, on a local scale where okay your parents the parents are done talking the coaches done talking now here's what an umpire who's you're contracting here's what we expect and and i think that culture can really get more bodies as umpires and be, make it more of a job that like where we have the passion, but opportunity or otherwise has made, has got us to this point. And I think a lot of people who might have that, who didn't fall into the opportunity of you having a seventh grade class that, that went through rules and Curtis just, ha you know, having to be in a situation where somebody saw him and they gave him some, some work on a college level or me having Carlos or, or Pete Ham, shout out to Pete Ham, who introduced me. Beyond the Rules, I think, could be a vessel, and, and when people hear this, to to glamorize the, the post a little, because it's fun. That's another thing, too. Like, aren't you out there having fun sometimes? And aren't you out there experiencing the game in a way that you're like, wow, I love baseball, but now I can see it. Like, this, if I love sausage, I can see how it's made now. Do you share in that excitement? Gary, are you? No, I, I'm excited every time I get on a field, and I, I, I really, I like doing it. Um, I don't know about the sausage metaphor. But yeah, I don't know about the well, sausage you know, metaphor. The, the if sausage, you ever saw yeah, sausage yeah. being made, I don't know if you'd eat it, but you know, <laughs> but, uh, but I have fun every time I'm working out there and being That's in it. Uh, the energy um, yeah. from from the kids and the stuff yeah. that that charges me up. I, I really like it. I have a lot of fun today. You know, I made a call, you know, third base, you know, I was running around a lot today, but you know, there was a, a little flare to left field that I made a fair foul call on it. And it was, you know, a good foot and a half foul. And one of the spectators said, Oh, I see chalk. I saw chalk. And, you know, we all had a, <laughs> we all had a good laugh about it, you know, cause I just couldn't even keep a straight face after that. I was just, I started laughing. It was, you know, yeah, what are you going to do about that? A laughable just, call. But, you know, everybody was having fun at that point. You know, they saw me laughing and, they, you know, um, it humanizes the position a little bit, you know, mm. that you're out there. Um, I try to have too. a, you know, a stoic face and, you know, I'm not, a, you know, I'm never excited. You know, if a kid hits a ball, I'm not excited that he's hit it, you know. But I think we all like it when a pitcher throws, you know, in and around the plate. And kids put the ball in play and kids catch it. I mean, I always feel like that's the game right there. You know, nobody wants to come to the game and see somebody walk around the park. And you have um, the best seat in the house, too. But, I, yeah, I feel like that. I feel like um, I'm part of the, the game and you know, I feel like 
I think umpiring, you know, when you're doing younger kids and stuff like that, the parents are, you know, new to the game too, and they just don't understand a lot of things either. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing because almost every rule has an exception. And, you know, you can't always say always in baseball. It's, you know, except if this happens. Um, and it's hard, you know, it's, it's um, going to, you know, interpreting rules and, you know, going through case plays and, and doing all the things that we do to get ready to make big calls. I mean, I always tell people that if you call a kid out and he, maybe he wasn't out, that's not as egregious as if you screw up a rule. Mm. You know, yeah. if you score a run when it shouldn't have been scored or you advance a runner more bases than he should have been awarded. And then knowing when they can do things. I mean, all that stuff is important. So I just, um, I'm just saying that, you know, the, when at the younger levels, it's harder, but I think in, you know, my high school career, I haven't had that many problems with, with parents or with players yeah. uh, or coaches and in college, it was less. I remember doing a game at William Patterson college and I called the ball. It was, I called the ball foul and, you know, it was against, um, Will Patterson and my dad was in the stands and everybody was booing me, you know, <laughs> and I think my dad was booing me too, <laughs> but you know, the next, the next play, the kid hit a double. Was it such a big deal? You know, I call it, you know, called it foul and then he hit a double. So, you know, it, yep. the game is, you know, about overcoming adversity. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, um, you know, I, I've actually gotten to a place, you know, you were saying how, you know, you try not, you try to be stoic and, you know, just kind of be, you know, um, really locked in. I think I've gotten to a point where I try not to be so stoic to the point where I don't enjoy every pitch, you know, and, 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 and plays. Part of what we do is because we love the game and we love seeing these athletes perform, whether they're 10U or they're, you know, collegiate, right? And, they're doing some phenomenal stuff. And I've gotten to a point now where if somebody crushes a baseball, I'm letting my natural instinct say, damn, that was a shot. You know, and, and, and I may, I may, I may say it on the field, like, damn, like, you know, and I might go yeah, out. Sometimes I, wow, you know, wow. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, 10 new kids turning a double play and you're like, absolutely. You know, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing you know, or, to see, but. Mm -hmm. you know. Or if somebody gaps it and the kid is like, you know, hauling ass, you know, you know, touching first. I'm like, okay. I gotta get on my I gotta get on my wheels and I and I'm excited and I'm getting in there in the two. Like, you know, that adrenaline, we should enjoy that. You know, it doesn't mean that we should be grinning, you know, on, on camera and be like, yeah, you know, like, but you know, well, we, we, we promote we should... it in an enjoyment way too. Absolutely. Oh, we... yeah, I, I do get the energy out mm -hmm. of it and I do I we, do enjoy it. But yeah, we should embrace that. And and here's the other piece of that is like when the players see us be like, okay, yeah, you know, that was shot, you know, like that that rapport. Is priceless. You can't put you can't put a monetary amount on you know players seeing you be in the game with them. You know, um, and uh, and, and that's, that's not a fucking point, man. That's, that, 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 point. that's yeah, that's not a. I'm I'm leaning to this side or I'm leaning to the uh, visitor. Like no, it's that was a hell of a play or that was a hell of a shot or whatever it was or that was a hell of a pitch. You know, like if a. If, if, if that three, two slider comes in and it buckles the pitch of the batter and it gets stuck and I'm ringing them up, best believe that I'm telling that catcher, yo, good work on that pitch. That, that shit was dope. No, I agree with you know that. What I'm saying? And, and like, I do that. And us being in the game with them, just, you know, it, it allows for us to enjoy the game 
with them while they perform at their highest possible level. And there, you know, that that allows for that love of the game to be matched with your ability to perform your craft with the game, you know. And I think that's something that is an opportunity for us as we get, again work with umpires at all levels, whether it's me mentoring, you know, at domination, or if I'm working with somebody, you know, over the summer that you know is helping me sharpen my iron, you know, like that energy that we get a chance to have on the field together, it's because we we're, we're adjusting to these phenomenal players do what their talent yeah. allow for them to do. And we're going to enjoy all nine innings, hopefully just nine innings of it. Right. Um, no, I definitely agree with you okay. there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I did have a, a kid today, uh, this year who I was behind a plate and a, a kid pitcher was throwing a curveball, and the catcher caught it like probably like an inch or two in front of my face, mm-hmm. you know, cause mm-hmm. And the coach was, you know, it was one of those backstops that the coach is in your back pocket. And he, he told the catcher, he goes, you got to catch that one a little bit deeper. <laughs> and I was like, any deeper, it's in my grill. <laughs> he started laughing, you know. So, yeah, um, awesome. but it's, you know, but I, you know, I appreciate a good catcher as much as anybody too. Oh, you know, yeah. you know oh, sometimes. The battery itself, the battery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, mm-hmm. you know, the, the amount of pride that some catchers put into their, their craft too, um, to, to block everything um, and to, you know, to make sure that we're safe. You know, and, and you know, that's a great point because like, you know, when you really get into like just mechanics and just being excited to be in position for all plays as, as you know as much as you possibly can you start to notice and appreciate the craft of every position you know every player in every position so you know the first baseman that's stretching and scooping and you know saving you know saving throws errant throws and laying still laying tags on base runners or you know second baseman that's laying out you know and still trying to make plays like it's just it's awesome to see those efforts but it's also a reminder, like, oh, that play's coming towards me. Do I need to break, break, you know, in foul territory and take this? Do I still have my lane? You know, like, like, did he throw it so bad that now I need to read step and come in and make sure, like, like all of those pieces forces us to think as fast as we can. What, how, what, what will be the position for me to be in the best space to see the full play? You know, and and. And that's that should be exciting for us as umpires, you know. And if we're not thinking in that way, then I think you know there there's some significant com- questions that should be asked in regards to yeah, what he's trying to accomplish agreed. as a. Yeah, and it never ends, man. This is this is a craft that you can continue learning, yep. and and we'll end it with this. Gary, this has been fucking amazing. Uh, I want you to, if you can, we talk so much about craft and and the positioning. What are some of these things as being an umpire all these years? How has that taught you to be a better Gary Peckman and a better man in, in that way? And, and how oh. has that how has that made you evolve as a person? So many things. First, I think when I'm out on a baseball field, I concentrate so much on what's going on in front of me that I kind of um, I'm forced to forget about any kind of things that are troubling me off the field, and it's really therapeutic for me mm. to able to spend a couple hours and just once I'm in between the lines I'm locked in and I just you know you forget about not seeing your kids or not seeing your wife or you know missing your father or your mother um those are things that so it makes me 
but it also helped me with really like conflict resolution. That's church right there. I was, you know, not always so calm about everything. You know, I just, um, you don't have to just conflict resolution and figuring out things and looking at things at you know, different angles. So it's, it's helped me that way. I just, um, I don't try to win every argument. I just try to listen and, and maybe not make the same mistake twice. It's really, it's, it calms me down. It's, it gives me a chance to, you know, I work, you know, in front of computer screens all day and to get outside and to be able to point and to yell a little bit or, you know, just not even yelling, but shouting, you know, strike or ball or whatever it is. And to spit, um, that's all therapeutic to me. I, I really, really like being outside and being out in the sun and it's really great. Yeah, it's, it's therapeutic for me too. Curtis, I'm sure you can say the same thing. Uh, 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 we, we love baseball and we offer respect to the game that it should be offered for one. And, and it sucks. And, and it really disappoints me too that there are, there are people who don't believe in us uh, in that we, and, and it's, it disappoints me in a way because they, they have reason to not believe in us. There's people who've disappointed them and set a precedent that uh, I, I, I want this podcast and going forward to change a culture that we're not a necessary evil. We're not a, we're not cops. No, no disrespect to cops. But we're 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 part of the game. We are there to make sure it's fair. I want to change the narrative, or, or just like I, when we talk about that, we talk about it with such passion that I don't think that people understand that umpires have for the game. And right, wrong, or indifferent, I blame a lot of umpires for positioning stuff like where and, and what we were talking about before. Oh, the last umpire didn't call that. The, you know it destabilizes the confidence that we are trying to be there for the game. And it, it's a matter of culture. It's like when you see certain travel teams, right? Why, why are they glamorized and why do people want to be a part of that? I think that if we can change that and make it in a way where we can develop and change the culture where there's a lot of ball players out there, or there are a lot of, not, there are a lot of baseball fans out there who will make great officials if they understood and had a more standardized approach that wasn't something like where you learn from this guy, you learn from this guy, you learn from this guy, and then you go to a camp and you realize, oh shit, I didn't know what the fuck I was learning. And then every, you know, like those things could be meted out on, on a level that if I knew to have this idea in the seventh grade, like you did, I'd be so much more in, in, into where I am. You know, instead of being 13 years into the game, I could be 20 years into the game. And my development would be my my heart and my confidence would be the same as it always would be, but my development could be further and it could be more of a career for people too, not just a, like a, a sort of side hobby. And it could be looked at too in that way, not just a career to go to MLB because how many people can make that commitment anyway? I, even if I was selected for the MLB, I can't leave my family for the summer like that. I, I That's hard. That's not that it's glamorous only in the allure, but we can offer something that, is glamorous in the actuality for people who to to have a really sustainable career or sustainable other steady income where they can do something that makes you a better person and allows you to know a sport that you fucking love and and in a way that extends beyond being a fan and I, that's one of the things that i really like when i try to preach the gospel of being an umpire it's like man 
if you are that much of a fan of the game, or are you how much of a fan of baseball are you? How much of an MLB fan are you? Because if you're a fan of baseball, this is a way to learn. This is a way to really become into it. But if you're a fan of MLB and you just want to be on DraftKings and, and set your lineups when it comes to fantasy time, that's fine too. I'm not that type of fan. And I don't I, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand that they are that type of fan and they could actually do things with that type of energy. And and I see the two of you and I hope people see it through me and and, and this podcast and and Gary, I thank you and Curtis, I'm glad you were here. Dimension in the house. What? <laughs> So um, as we as we go through all this together, I hope to have you on again, Gary and Curtis. We'll talk again. So, anything else you want to say, guys? No, no. I want to say thank, thank you. you for having me on here, and I appreciate it. It's a, a first for me, so I was just uh, really happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Gary. All right. Well, everybody, that's the episode. Thank you for joining Beyond the Rules. Boom.